Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Vertical Momentum. I am your host, Rich Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, this is going to be a fun episode. Now, I'm going to be asking a lot of questions because this is one thing that I'm not very well versed on. We're going to be talking about investing. We're going to be talking about financing. Um, so this is going to be a great episode. But first, I want to thank our sponsors, Annette Wittenberger. She has a great show called The Truth We Hide Behind Podcast. She's doing some amazing things. She has a new book coming out. She's also a veteran. So definitely check her out, The Truths We Hide Behind Podcast with Annette Wittenberger. Guys, this is going to be a great episode, um, especially the times we live in. We're going to be talking about investing. We're going to be talking about finances. We're going to talk about different things. And in the end, we might even talk a little bit about spirituality. So who, who knows where this conversation is going to go? <laughs> hey, my brother, how are you doing, brother? Hey, thanks so much for having me, Richard. How are you doing today, man? Oh, man. You know what? If life was any better, I would be twins. Oh, I love that, man. I'm, yeah, so I'm really excited to uh, talk about all things, like you mentioned, finances, uh, spirituality. You know how I kind of uh, put God above everything. So I, I think definitely let's take the conversation wherever you want to today. Definitely. So first of all, uh, like I said, I want to thank you for being for being uh, a brother in Christ. First of all, that's the most important thing. Absolutely. And unfortunately, you're going to be stuck with me for eternity. So, um, <laughs> you know, but tell us a little bit about, you know, where you were from, where you're born, where you're raised. And what, what kind of little kid were you? Because I want to know to get to know the man behind the calculator. Sure. So talk to us about, about you. Yeah, so I grew up in a really small town, Iron Mountain, Michigan. Uh, we call it Lower Canada. Very cold. We're surrounded by uh, all the Great Lakes. We got uh, really extreme conditions. And uh, very small town. I think I graduated with about 200 people in my class. And my entire upbringing, I always thought, man, there's got to be more to this world. There's got to be something there. There's got to be something bigger, right? So I uh, started doing my due diligence and decided to enlist in the United States Air Force and uh, went on to become an ammo troop for six years from 18 to 24. Well, first uh, you got to tell me, let's go back a little bit because sure. um, I I love people's recruiting stories. Yeah, Talk to me about your recruiting story. Yeah. So for me, it was really interesting because, uh, again, I was on this mission to find something larger than myself and I wanted to serve and coming from this really small town, it's just limited possibilities. So I was like, you know what? I don't really know what I want to do as a career yet. I'm not really certain. I, I do know that I need some discipline and I need to get out of here. So, um, you know what? I what, It was really interesting, though, because I was weighing actually two of my uncles who served and were serving at the time. So one was in the army, one was in the air force. And I just kind of looked at them and I, you know, my, my uncle who's in the army, he was always deploying. He was gone constantly. It was, it was just not what I wanted to do. Right. A lot of people join, they want to go do all these crazy things and be on the front line. That was not me. I knew that, you know, the military was, um, a stepping stone in sorts, right. Uh, the best stepping stone I always say that I've ever, really kind of embarked upon. But my other uh, uncle who's in the Air Force uh, went in as an uh, enlisted, became an officer, and I just watched his life unfold. And he was, you know, traveling all over, doing all, all, all sorts of really cool things. 
And I was like, man, that's that's a little bit more of my speed. So uh, I went and talked to an army recruiter first to make sure that, in fact, I didn't want to join the army. So talk to them. And I always kind of joke because, you know, they say that army salesmen or army recruiters are the best salesmen because, you know, I spent an hour with them and they're like, what do we need to do to get you to sign on the dotted line? And I said, listen, guys, I'm just doing my due diligence, you know, this and that. Well, meanwhile, I'm trying to get a hold of the Air Force recruiter. And this was back in 20, uh, 2009, 2010 timeframe. And uh, the bird flu was going on. So I'm trying to call this guy. And again, really small town. So this guy is kind of servicing all these different areas all around these other small towns. And I cannot get a hold of this recruiter. So meanwhile, the Army recruiters are calling me, calling me, calling me. I'm like, guys, I got to listen. I got to talk to this Air Force recruiter. So I finally, I'm like, dad, listen, I'm, I'm ready to join. Let's just go down to Green Bay, which Green Bay Packers, go pack, go. Uh, it's about two hours away from my hometown. So we're on our drive down there. We're embarking on. All right, just know, remind me. I'm sorry to cut you off, but just remind me. I want to talk about the Packers in a little bit. Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. Because I'm a big sports geek. So Absolutely. So my dad, though, he uh, takes off work. Um, he says, okay, let's go down to Green Bay. We're driving down there, and literally we're, we're just in Niagara, which is like 10 minutes out of my hometown. And I get a call and it's the Air Force recruiter in my hometown. And I said, hey, listen, I've been trying to get a hold of you for, you know, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. What's what's going on? He said, I'm so sorry. I had the bird flu, very, very sick, all this stuff. I said, listen, meet me as soon as you can. Let's talk. So that's what we do. We set up an appointment. I go down and talk to him. And the feel that I had, you know, Army versus Air Force recruiting, the Army, you know, here they are selling me. You can get this, that, another thing. The Air Force recruiter sits me down. He literally folds his hands and he goes, so tell me why you want to join the Air Force. And to me, there was like no salesmanship. There was no nothing. He just kind of like, you know, cut through the malarkey. And I really like that. I really like that approach because, again, I, I, I didn't envision myself spending 30 years, you know, plus in, in the military service. I looked at it as, you know, again, a stepping stone, get my college paid for an opportunity, get, get a chance to serve my country, you know, kind of all of the above. So that's that's really kind of my recruiting story. What, uh what questions do you have for me, Richard? Well, you know, I just like to know, you know, because like when I, I grew up on the streets of Jersey and when I went to basic, um, it was kind of it was eye opening because there's all people from all over all yeah. walks of life. So it was interesting getting to know the dynamics. So, I, you know, I, would, I just love to hear different people's recruiting stories. because Everybody has a different one. Yeah. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So how long did you do in the Air Force? Six years. And what kind of, what job did you take? A troop. So we created the munitions explosives that flew on the aircrafts. And it was, I'm right there with you when you talk about basic training and, and kind of going to something, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of minorities back home. We, you know, primarily um, it's um, European or uh, European Eastern people that, migrated to this area to become coal miners and copper miners so i you know we didn't really have diversity you get in the basic training you get into any type of military service and now you have people from all walks of life all different religions and backgrounds and it was it was definitely a bit of shell shock for me you know 18 years old i'd never really traveled outside the country and here i am now with tons of different uh, ideologies and different things and and that's really we'll, we'll, we'll probably cover it in spirituality but I wasn't actually a very spiritual person until after I started serving in the Air Force. So we'll kind of we'll kind of circle back there when the time's appropriate. Now, did you deploy at all? 
I didn't. I had a forward deployment to Osan, South Korea. That was actually my first uh, duty station. And then uh, I got saved. So I was in Korea for a year, got my follow on over to Ramstein, Germany. And from Ramstein, I was due to deploy probably six to seven times when kind of Syria 2012, kind of all that stuff was happening, but never actually went. I got ready three, four, five, six times, never actually went. Okay, so now were you a single man at this time? Uh, I had a serious girlfriend at the time, uh, a Korean woman. Um, she would come over to Europe back and forth. But uh, when I came here to Utah, where I live now, where I kind of finished off uh, my service, uh, we kind of parted ways and, and kind of ended things there. Okay, so you single now, got a family, what do you got? Uh, so I'm engaged to be married on June 12th. So super excited about that. Whoa, my, it's coming up. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So uh, a lot of moving parts in my life right now. We're engaged to be married uh, June 12th. And we actually have a little boy on the way who will be here shortly thereafter, August 19th. So just remember that the word fiance yeah. and, the, and the word finance are about self, <laughs> spelled the same. So there's there's a reason for that. Uh, That's good. So, yeah. Uh, so you did six years. Um, you know, I, I've talked to now hundreds of people on my show now, yeah. and a lot of veterans. You know, when we get out, um, you know, like when we're in, in the military, you know, we're all hoo 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 and hardcore and all that crap. Yeah. But we're we get we're so used to getting paid on the first and the fifteenth. Mm-hmm. You know, we're so used to um, getting BAQ, BAH. You know, we're used yeah. to having a certain lifestyle. And then like my friend, you know, Nick says, um, you know, once you step off base, the military really doesn't give a crap about you. So, and a lot of people, when they get out, um, they either, you know, they, they lose the camaraderie. That's what I missed the most was the camaraderie. Yeah. Um, And they didn't have a mission anymore. So what was your transition like? Yeah, so uh, I'm really into fitness. I've been in the fitness uh, the last 17 years or, or so. I'm 29 now. And um, so naturally, I gravitated towards personal training. I've always been an entrepreneurial spirited person. So personal training for my own brand, um, primarily coaching people into like bodybuilding competitions and and really like calculated scientific uh, personal training, right? Not, not just your run of the mill, like do this workout but very, very calculated into these people's lives. And I did that for a little while. And what I really quickly realized was I had a very low ceiling for the amount of money that I could make, clients I could service, and really what I could value my time at. So I did that for about a year. Um, That paid the bills. I used my um, uh, uh, GI bill to go to school as well to kind of help offset a lot of those costs. And, uh, you know, to be honest, I, I feel like I kind of did things right. I bought a house when I was 21 years old, no, 20, excuse me, 22 years old. And I've always had roommates. I've always had people renting from my house. Um, and that's kind of helped offset a lot of the bills as well, especially as I was transitioning, because I think you're absolutely right. A lot of people, you're just kind of, you feel ready for it as you're leaving. You're like, oh, I can't wait. And then you get there and you're like, hold on a second. You know, like this isn't my standard. Now I have all this time on my hands, this freedom of do what I want when I want. Nobody yelling at me, telling me what to do. It's almost like when you go from basic training to tech school, I feel like. Right. So 
Um, you know, it took a little while for me to kind of reacclimate, I would say, back into societal norms. And, you know, you notice a, a whole heck of a lot less cussing outside uh, of the military friends and, you know, that kind of thing. And just just little just little things like that. But it was really interesting because, you know, coming from such a small town background, going to Korea, which was shell shock, then going to Germany, different culture, followed by Utah, which Utah it's 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 a different breed within itself. If you've never been to Utah, it's a fantastic state, but there are things that are much different than you would find elsewhere regarding alcohol laws and religion and all sorts of different things. So um, it was really just about finding myself, and then you know the transition into business. What ended up happening is I found myself constantly gravitating towards um, you know really like wanting to build websites and PPC campaigns and all sorts of you know different things that. Again, I could value my time maybe a little bit better and I had much more room for growth. Um, so that's what I've been doing now for the last five years is down the kind of digital agency scape of things. Okay. So I don't know if you know my past, but um, I've, I was in the health and industry, health and fitness industry for over 32 years. Awesome. Yeah. If you look on my friends list, you know, Lee Haney, Dorian Yates, Ron, awesome. Ronnie Coleman are all friends of mine. That's and, awesome, man. You know, so I, I totally get it. And I, and I know that we both love Generation Iron. Yes. I, I love checking that out. I love the health and fitness industry. So now talk to us about, you know, what you're doing now. Um, yeah. And especially because I don't know very, you know, I, I know a lot about a lot of things. Yeah. But investing um, now all this Bitcoin stuff. Yeah. Don't have a clue. And a lot of people re- that, that I listen to, they might not know so much about it. So talk. Sure little bit about what you do and how you help people. Yeah, absolutely. So there's kind of two different avenues here, right? So I am an avid investor. I love investing in the stock market. Um, I run a Facebook community as well, where we just basically talk stocks and crypto and all sorts of different things investment wise all day long. Um, and, and really down the investment, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that we can talk about here. Right now, what we're seeing is an incredibly poor market in the stock market related to administration change and administration just turnover, right? Anytime that the administration changes, there's all sorts of uh, instability within the stock market, right? Because it's based somewhat loosely on our economics. How, how, do, how does the American people believe the economics of America is going to grow? It, you know, in Trump's administration, like him or dislike him, you were we were seeing much larger economic impact than we are right now versus, you know, right now it's, it's just a very, they call it like the discount months, right? Where everything is, is really on sale. But this is what I think is really interesting about this turnover of presidents versus any other presidential changeover that we've ever had is we have cryptos and, you know, don't get me wrong. They've been around for the last 10 years, 12 years or so, but the amount of market cap, meaning the amount of money that people are investing into cryptocurrency right now, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, it's offsetting because if you think about it, we as humans, we as educated creditor type, uh, credit conscious type individuals, we're always looking at, well, how do we make our, our money do pushups, right? How are we looking at getting more money with the money that we currently have? That's why we start businesses. That's why we invest in stock markets, crypto, any, any of the above. It's for the growth of it. But what we've never seen before is the amount of trillions of dollars pouring into something that is is primarily speculatory in reference to the crypto 
cryptocurrency. So Richard, I'll ask you a question. What is kind of your understanding of crypto right now? Are you invested at all? Do you invest in the stock market? Let's let's kind of go there. Oh, uh, well, all right. Put it this way. Uh, you know, they say, you know, because I did over 20 years in the military between National Guard and regular army. You okay. know, they say that if you didn't have a bankruptcy, if you didn't have a DUI, and if you didn't have a, a couple uh, divorces, it wasn't a great career. So <laughs> I kind of like had them all. Yeah. And um, when I moved to New Jersey 11 years ago, um, my credit score was like 400. Oh, wow. So, but now we're at like eight, 850, somewhere around there. Um, wow. So me, me, it was, it, I was more of um, one of my, you know, one of my uncles told me is that, you know, the, the world is not building any more real estate. Yeah. You know, there's not building building any more land. Yep. So uh, I I worried about more um, um, buying my home, you know, paying okay. down my home, yeah, paying off my credit cards, Good. you know, so I'm not paying. So that that's where I'm currently at. And you know, I'm currently because I'm the kind of guy I sit back and I watch for a while, mm-hmm. you know, because you get some people that they'll just jump into something. Yeah. Without no, you know, because like I, I don't want like you know, if me and you were having a, a conversation about something, and if I don't know anything about it, I'm not going to add to the conversation because then you'd say something stu- stupid and you just look foolish. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a guy that's just sitting back, you know, I'm interviewing a, a couple guys on crypto just to learn because you know, yeah. you know, Gary V says you know crypto's hot, um, NFTs are hot, yeah. But you know, sometimes it's not the the sexy way to make money. You know, yeah. so, you know, I, I try to, I guess I'm more fiscally uh, conservative, I guess would be my point. Okay, sure, sure, sure. So I think that, you know, that kind of brings up a good point. I think that everybody that's listening to this, you know, you kind of have to put yourself into like a, a self check on where you're at in your investments, right? Because what I mean by that is, you know, I have a lot of people, especially running my community that come to me and they say, Tyler, what, what crypto should I be investing into? What stock should I be investing into? And it's all purely speculatory because if you, for example, have credit card debt and let's say you're getting uh, an APR of 20%, well, you shouldn't actually be investing. You should be paying down like Richard, you, you mentioned paying down credit cards because otherwise to beat that in the market, to make more than what you're being charged in your credit cards means you have to at least do 21% on your investment which doesn't happen very often. So that's the very first thing that I kind of tell people is like, first do kind of like an overall budget, kind of understand where you're at, what you can actually afford, and if it makes sense. Because again, if you have credit card debt, if you don't have secured assets like a home or any of those types of things, then maybe those are in fact better investments, even if they're not as sexy, even if they're not these, you know, because I think that social media does a really good job at elevating the the winners right everyone wants to post about their 200% gain on dogecoin but nobody wants to post when it goes down 40 50% nobody does it right so i think that that's the other like thing. I just before we got on um so i knew we were going to be talking and you know i seen that uh bitcoin you know went drop 30% yeah so how come i'm not seeing all these people saying hey <laughs> you know but okay i got a question to ask because and I don't know if you have the answer. You probably don't, but I have to ask it. Yeah. You know, Bitcoin people are on the same level as car warranty dealers, <laughs> timeshares. Yeah. It seems like, you know, if, if somebody friend requests me, 
and they say that you know in their profile i'm a bitcoin trader i'm like i know that five seconds later i'm gonna get a pitch yeah so yeah. is it something that they're taught or is this just something that you know, I think this is the other unfortunate truth is scammers are getting better and better, more invasive. And anyone that claim, here's the thing, you always have to check people's motives, right? Because for example, I have a course on how to trade in the stock market, but I don't go around promoting it to everyone and their brother, trying to pitch people, trying to sell it. That's not the point of it. It's the people that come to me and say, Tyler, I want to learn the things that you know. Well, here's six hours of pre-recorded information that I know. Right. It's not it's not for me to go out and, and chase people down type of thing. And I think that a lot of these people that are coming in as Bitcoin traders or this or that, it's because they're trying to sell either an affiliation, trying to sell you on your lack of knowledge. Right. Ultimately, trying to be a solution for you in some way, shape or form. So they get paid. And that's just not good business. And that's, you know, the nature of potential scammers, because the other thing and I'll share with you. Uh, a very interesting story that kind of happened. So I have this community. We're about 5,500 people strong in the Welcome Wealthy stock and crypto connection. And within this community, we grew very, very quickly. I think we had almost 5,000 members in just shy of a year. And what ended up happening is one of our individuals ended up approving somebody without really, you know, kind of scrubbing them, performing due diligence, kind of understanding who this person is. Well, anyways, we let a bad, a bad seed in. And this bad seed went on to direct message a ton of individuals that are part of this community. And they went in direct messaging them saying, basically, hey, I can I can make money on your crypto. And the way that it worked, it as far as I know, I mean, only only one person came out and publicly said, hey, this this happened to me. But this person publicly said, this is what happened. They invested a thousand dollars, basically transferred over a thousand dollars to this person that was supposed to be trading their crypto. So $1,000, they send them back, this, this person on the other side, $1,200. So it looks like this guy made you know, $200. So he says, okay, well, the next one is you know, $2,500. So he sends him $2,500. This guy sends him back $3,000. This guy thinks he's got like you know, a genie in a bottle. So he invests $5,000. This guy deletes his account, never to be heard from ever again. And this thing is, ha- you know, things like this are happening. Like I said, only one person came out and publicly said, hey, this this happened to me. But it begs the question, how many other people do this happen to? And, you know, since this has happened, we've since eradicated the people that are doing this. But the truth of it is, is, I mean, we're only as good as what's reported to us. We don't know it can be happening in any type of community. So that's what I would say probably a lot of this is about. It's always about somebody on the other side having something to gain. Right. I, I hate to be pessimistic. I'm generally an optimist, but. Anyone that's trying to sell you anything within, you know, a couple of minutes of meeting you, it's it's because they have vested interests somewhere, some way, somehow. Okay, then I, you know, because like I said, uh, I'll admit when I'm not good at something, but I'm the kind of guy that wants to learn. Yeah, you know, I've I've been taught that, you know, in order to be successful in life, you have to be humble and be teachable. Yeah, so I try to be both. Um, you know, I understand a little bit of the crypto. But I'm also like, you know, the old guy, you know, I'm 52. So mm-hmm. like, you know, I hang out with some of my friends and then, you know, we start talking and my first thought is how do I buy a slice of pizza with crypto? Yeah. I, well, you know what I mean? It's yeah, kind of yeah. like, okay, I get the premise, but then when it comes to everyday life, how does crypto fit in? 
Sure. That's that's the question. That's that's the billion dollar question. Let's put it that way, because there are uses for it. But let, let me take you back 12 years or so ago. And the way in which you acquired crypto has has since really changed. Right. I have a business partner named Franz, and he was just telling me about when he was a young little hooligan, probably, you know, 16, 17 years old. He went and purchased crypto or excuse me, Bitcoin. And he bought crypto, uh, bought Bitcoin rather, to use on the Silk Road, which is, if you're familiar with it or if you've ever heard about it, it's where a lot of bad things happen. Well, that was the way in which people became familiar with cryptocurrency, was these people that were doing maybe less than ethical exchanges, so there was no tracing of it. But what's really interesting is exactly what built it, meaning the uh, uh, anonymity to it, where people don't know who's doing it, it's a transaction that you know, people apparently can't see that has since gone, you know, since we've signed up for things like Coinbase or Binance or any of these things that are compliant with Apple. So what people, the common misconception is that crypto can't be tracked. Well, crypto is definitely tracked. It's tracked as soon as you agree to the terms and services agreement when you download their application that's on the Apple store. So number one, that portion and of it is and gone. Many people actually read that. Yeah. Mo most people don't understand that. The second thing is, is a lot of people think that they're purchasing cryptocurrency when they're in their Robinhood or their Webull or any of these other trading brokerages, when in fact, all you're doing is trading the amount versus actually holding it. So for example, rather than buy one full Bitcoin at $50,000, for example, you're buying an exchange with the brokerage that you're using, again, Robinhood, Webull, any of those that what the crypto is in any given time, you're selling or buying the highs and the lows on that. So what I mean by that is you're not actually physically holding it in like a wallet, right? Like we know fiat currency, you have a $20 bill, you put it into your wallet. So you're not buying crypto when you're on these brokerages. The way in which you actually purchase and acquire crypto, and, and I'll get to the use here in a second, but the way in which it happens is you actually purchase it from a brokerage, so Coinbase, Binance, any of those above, and then you transfer it into a wallet. Now, this is where you can start to get a little bit more of the anonymity back where you would transfer it into a wallet that is otherwise a bit more protected, right? Like a Metafox or uh, something like that. Now, I don't really care. I don't care if the government tracks my Bitcoin, my Ethereum, my Cardano. I, don't, I really don't care just for the fact that I've always been a tax abiding citizen anyways. But this is what, what I will say uh, for the use part of it. So I'm right there with you, Richard. I'm the type of person that I need to see it, feel it, touch it for it to be real. But we don't really experience that even nowadays with our fiat currency, right? Because, for example, you know, we don't, most people don't use cash anymore. Most people use a card. Mm -hmm. You're not actually feeling that exchange happening anyways. So it's the same as a Venmo, Cash App, or any of the above. For the fact that, for example, uh, we just sold a client, a Canadian client, a website um, just two or three days ago. And this individual, it's for, uh, in fact, actually a crypto website. They want uh, they have a crypto podcast and a couple of other things. And we're building a website. And they said, is it okay that we pay you in Bitcoin? And I said, you know, sure, why not? So I transfer over my wallet credentials. And within 10, 15 minutes, I had that amount worth of crypto in my wallet. So that's, you know, are we at the level where we can pay for pizza down at our local pizza parlor? Not yet, but it's definitely coming. I definitely feel it coming. And, you know, and it's crazy because, like, you know, like I'm, tr I'm still trying to learn. 
so I'm a, I'm an observer, you know. Mm-hmm. And now you know I'm, I'm you know friends with Gary V. And you know I talk listen. He talks a lot about NFTs and he talks to stuff like that. And it's amazing how you know like at one point last last couple of years, um, sports cards, base you know foot base yeah. football cards, baseball cards, they were down. Yeah. You know, but now all of a sudden because of the NFT, you know. A LeBron James card selling for four million dollars. Yeah, kind of like you know, it seems like you know Bitcoin is sexy until it's no longer sexy. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So now, yeah. um, I right, put it this way: if if somebody sat you down mm-hmm. and said, "Okay, I want you to explain Bitcoin to somebody that has no clue what it is," what mm-hmm. would be what would be the way you would break it down, barn style? Oh, okay. So what I would say is everyone is familiar with a cash transaction, right? We, we pull a $20 bill out of our wallet. We all agree if it has a serial number and has the proper markings and all of that, that, that a $20 bill is worth $20. Well, if everybody agrees that Bitcoin is worth $20 and everyone, you know, if we started to use it as a transactional currency, then it would be worth exactly $20, right? So anything that we look at is almost an intrinsic value. I guess, hold on. I over explain things sometimes, but the simplest form of it is, is it's a digital currency similar to our fiat cash that two people agree that it's worth the same price point when the transaction happens. Does that make sense? Yeah. So now okay. like I, I, I hear that Bitcoin is worth $56,000, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, do you have to buy the whole coin or no. buy parts of it? Yep. So you can buy parts of it. And that's that's where I think things are getting interesting. So there's one thing worth noting on Bitcoin is that there's only ever going to be to be found X amount. And I, I think, don't quote me on this, but I think it's 21 million coins in total in tra- uh, in circulation. So if we were to say 20, 21 million times current price value at 56, you know, uh, dollars, uh, 56,000 per uh, Bitcoin, we could roughly get the market cap. However, this is what's really interesting is there's two other things that are factored into this. So number one is the only way to find a Bitcoin is by to do a transaction uh, autonomously. So a real Bitcoin transaction, the way that it's designed when everyone talks about blockchain, the way that it's actually designed is that let's say that you and I agree uh, that that I'm going to transfer you $1,500 for a service, right? Well, if we both agree to it, we both you you I send it to you or you send it to me, however, and on the blockchain, somebody's mining system, mining meaning looking for Bitcoin, can actually do that transaction, meaning take your information, take my information, transact that amount, basically meaning like put their stamp of approval on it, and if they in fact have or they have the chance at turning over a Bitcoin, one full Bitcoin. So these miners, the people that spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of potentially millions of dollars, uh, companies like Mara or uh, Riot Blockchain and these different companies, they set up rooms full of miners to go out and transact people's Bitcoin transactions. So again, when this Canadian client sent me over Bitcoin over from his wallet to my wallet, there had to be a transaction that happened, right? A third party that basically legislates to make sure that everything is square, right? With that opportunity, a miner could turn over a coin. So if you have 21 million coins that are, will ever circulate. Now, if, think- this, 
virtual coins or real coins? Virtual coins, virtual coins. Okay. So the transaction happens basically based on my wallet information and the wallet information being sent. So basically like a bank transfer or an ACH, you have your routing number, your account number. It's kind of the same concept, but that what they're doing rather than like a bank looking to be the middleman and take, you know, $20 for an ACH transfer or whatever it is, the incentive for a miner is to set up this mining algorithm that goes through and computes. Again, this transaction verifies it, legislates it, transacts it with the opportunity to turn over one of 21 million Bitcoins. So what that means is every transaction is happening between client and myself, but a third party is actually transacting it. And it's really a third party computer mining setup that is transacting, transa- uh, verifying that transaction. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. So yeah. now, because um, of course, you know, nobody can tell where anything is going because, yeah. you know, like one day the stock market, because I, I consider the stock market is like a, a woman on her period. Um, <laughs> it can just, it can go any, any, it can go sideways yeah. at any moment. You know, like um, the owner of Tesla said something about a certain coin and yep. it blew up, and then the next day it dropped like a stone. Yeah. So, uh, where do you think this is going to fit in into the future, and where do you think if it's going to affect people investing in stock market? And what do you? And beside that, I'm sorry. Like I said, I apologize for asking all these questions, but <laughs> I, you know, I think a lot of people have these questions that yeah. answered. What are your thoughts on um, people investing in real estate? And not, I mean, obviously not um, retail um, real estate, but home yeah. real estate. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I'll, I'll approach that one first. So I own a rental property, and then we own our house, and then we're actually looking at buying a new house with selling this one, kind of consolidating. And I think that if you're planning on staying anywhere for more than, or at least for more than two years, that you should look to buy your house versus rent your house. I, I believe that for most situations, right? Especially the veterans that are listening to this, because the fact that we get VA loans, which are zero, zero down, and that we get all these special incentives, you should absolutely positively try to get yourself into a house. And Richard, I think what you said initially, when we kind of jumped on here was, you know, there, there will never be a bad time to invest into real estate, there may only be a better time, but there'll never be a best time. And all these people that keep saying, Oh, I'm waiting for the bubble, I'm waiting for the bubble. I, listen, I'm here to tell you guys the bubble's not coming. We we predicted this. We have put buffers in place. Bonds are up. You know, different things happen that correlate to the real estate market, to the stock market. Now, even into the crypto market, they all kind of play off of each other, right? But they also all back each other in a sense. So when the stock market is is bad, well, that money has to be going somewhere. And right now, it just happens to be going into real estate. Everyone, you know, I, I talked to tons of realtors. We have a, a realtor in our family and it seems like nobody anywhere in the country can seemingly buy a house. There's a million offers on houses, basically anywhere that you're going. So the real estate market is really hot. So, but I do challenge you guys that if you have the credit score, if you have the finances, if you have the ability, you should definitely be investing into real estate. Even if it's just a personal home, even if it's just for you and your family, it's definitely a good investment. The, okay. So the second thing is with, uh, 
regards to kind of where the market's going, what we're doing, all, all of these different questions, I would say that we're, we're kind of in this really weird limbo period where everybody is speculating what's going to happen next, right? And some of it is warranted. Don't get me wrong. We've had a lot of uncertainty for the last you know, year plus, but everyone is speculating that something big is going to happen, right? Either the real estate market's going to crash, you know, the stock market's going to completely crash, which it kind of has. It, it's been really, really down or that the crypto market's going to crash. And, you know, there is no way of telling when a good time to invest into anything is. But what I would say is you're never going to go wrong holding assets. You don't ever actually secure a loss until you sell. And if you're putting money into, again, an investment, it means that you don't need that money elsewhere in your life, right? So don't go invest your, you know, emergency fund into the stock market if you don't have that buffer. So same thing with real estate. You know, if you don't have potentially even a, a little bit of kind of extra finances after you buy your house, don't go house poor either. Don't don't go max out your purchasing power because you get approved for it. Make sure you can in fact afford it first, and then and then go and and kind of secure that. So does that kind of answer your question, Richard? Oh, yeah, and, and like uh, like I said, I'm I'm very grateful that you're taking the time to hang out today. Absolutely. Um, of course, it's going to be. I'm going to be. It's going to be promoted to all our veterans groups and all that stuff. But Excellent. Talking about, we're going to be talking about business a little bit. Okay. Um, you know, usually, especially in the Vetrepreneur tribe that you know we're part of, mm-hmm. um, somebody guy guy or girl gets out of the army, military. Mm-hmm. Uh, for you know, they want to open up a t-shirt company, hat company, mm-hmm. coffee or liquor, and then six months later, they're ten thousand dollars in debt. And don't know what the hell just happened. Yeah. Um, so what was it like when you decided to start, you know, to say like the old, the old, old my old folks used to say, when you decided to hang out your shingle and start your own business? Yeah. Um, you know, like one of our friends, um, Stephen Kuhn says, you know, if you do not have a business plan, you do not have a business. You have yeah. a hobby. So and I think one thing that the military does well is we learn no matter what branch we're in, we we know how to do do an SOP. Yeah. Um, yeah. So tell us about when you first started your business, what the thought process was, and some of the struggles you went through. Yeah. So I think one of the things that every veteran, at least, that's listening to this, has an advantage over of another individual is we understand what it means to be persistent, right? We know what it means to overcome obstacles. We know what it means to go through adversity. And we know what it means to, to not give up on our first go around, right? So I think first and foremost, veterans make better entrepreneurs. Not to say that other people don't make good entrepreneurs, but veterans, I think, make the best entre- uh, best entrepreneurs. And I say that because I went through a whole heck of a lot of trials and tribulations, right? I, I call it the learning curve. I say that I paid the tuition at the School of Hard Knocks because a lot of my early on business, I turn around now five five going on six years into my business. And I look at the things that I was doing in year one and I'm like, why did I think that that was a good idea? You know, why did I spend my money there? Why did I, why did I think that this was going to be the, the special, uh, special sauce here? But what it, what it really came down to is I realized that everybody has to go through a learning curve. And some people, you know, for me, I, I have always had entrepreneurial tendencies, but I also lacked a lot of things like follow through and, you know, really just kind of, I, I don't know, really just kind of like finalizing things, right? 
So once I identified that as a weakness of mine, I started actually creating it as a strength. So now everything that I do, I make sure everything is fully done, eyes dotted, T's crossed, you know, all the good stuff. And, you know, having not had gone through that school of hard knocks, having not gone through those struggles, I don't think that I would actually still be here, be around with my business had I not gone through a lot of those trials early on. So I, I think first and foremost, I just don't want people to get discouraged when they give a business a shot and they don't make it because that's that's one of the categories that I always kind of see people get put into is, hey, the, you know, I tried a business, I tried it for two months and I didn't see a return. I, I you know, I got to leave this. I got to go do something else. When in fact, maybe that success starts to come in month three, month four, month five, you know, year two, year three, year five, all of that kind of stuff. So that's kind of my thoughts on that. You, you just have to kind of go through that school of hard knocks, keep pushing through um, and ultimately find what's the best fit for you. You know, cause I think that what people will also find is the very first business model that they go through may not in fact be the right business model for them at all. Maybe they needed to go through that to find what they really enjoyed. Right. Cause that's kind of my story where, you know, I was bodybuilding coaching, but I was also doing a lot of things online and it turned into what I do now again, digital agency. So had he not gone through that failed business opportunity, you know, maybe I wouldn't have found, in fact, what I'm passionate about, which is creating websites and PPC campaigns. So, you know, number one, don't get discouraged. Number two, understand there is a learning curve with anything, right? There is no secret, magical, you know, thing that's going to get you there instantly. It just sometimes requires things like educating yourself and watching the proper courses and, you know, practicing the right practices, you know, things that hold yourself accountable. You know, these are all things that are kind of overlooked with people. And this is why I think that a lot of people tucker out, especially a lot of veterans, because we are in fact used to when we're, when we're serving, you know, knowing exactly where we need to be at the exact time, you know, all of that stuff is applicable. But when you get out of the military and you go on to start a business, you know, for example, like my business model, not only do I have to sell people on it, but then I need to fulfill their work. So it's like, I have to create my schedule around my fiance's schedule, around, you know, our, our life and our planning. And I have a business partner. So what is he doing? And, you know, there's a lot of like other, you know, things that, that are ultimately on your shoulders. So um, that, that's kind of what I would say though, is definitely just don't get discouraged. Keep going with whatever it is that you do pursue and, and also be gentle with yourself, right? I think that some people get really prideful when they go on to start a business, they start promoting you on social media, they go and post it and maybe they don't get the amount of reactions on Facebook or Instagram that they thought they were going to get, or maybe they don't make as many sales as they thought they were going to make. Right. I totally understand that feeling as well. But even when you set these expectations, understand that it's not about the first week you launch. It's not about the first month that you launch. It's not about the first year that you launch. A true company is built in many years, not in a single, you know, micro cosm of what what what's there so that's kind of my advice is is be persistent keep going no matter what and ultimately you'll, you'll find your niche you'll find what you're supposed to be doing and you know a, a lot of people out there you know when they first start a business um they're expecting you know their family and their friends to support them and yeah. a lot of times it's not you're not going to be supported in your own not you know in your own sphere of um circumstances you know you're not gonna yeah. a lot of people you know they feel wait a minute 
you know, wait a minute, why aren't you not, you know, to, to, why is my cousins not buying my t-shirts? You yeah. know what I'm saying? Nope. And they nope. kind of get, they kind of, um, they, they get disappointed. One thing, as we learned with the whole COVID, you know, sometimes you have to pivot. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. you have to change course. Like uh, I interviewed a young guy and he, he just opened up his own coffee shop in South Carolina. And then all of a sudden, uh, COVID hits and they're shut down. Yeah. So it was either, okay, I'm going to go out of business or I'm going to go buy a bus. I'm going to start roasting coffee in front of the school and people are going to start buying my coffee that way. Yep. Now he's making more money off the coffee bus than he is when he had a shop. You know, <laughs> innovation. Yeah. yeah. So talk to us about, you know, having to pivot. Yeah. So uh, it's really interesting. So I was really ramping up my business right before COVID as well. And as you can imagine, with the uncertainty of COVID, you know, a lot of people start to kind of hold their money a little bit tighter. Right. And a lot of my work that I do, I mean, it costs thousands of dollars. So, you know, frankly, we had, I think at the time that, you know, March, April, I think that was kind of like the head of or the, 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 the worst of COVID, or at least that's kind of how it was portrayed. But, you know, at that point, I think I had like six or seven proposals out that I knew were just not going to get picked up. And for me, you know, this is this is how I make my living. This is my finances. You know, luckily, like I said, I've always been pretty, pretty good with finances. I've always kept enough on reserve. And, you know, I feel very fortunate for that. But I think you're absolutely right. The, the pivot that I made was I started looking at this as like, okay, well, maybe I don't need to get, you know, thousands of dollars in contracts. Maybe I can do, you know, a couple of smaller things, get into a good working relationship. And when things eventually do open back up, now I already have my foot in the door with these people that I started, you know, started working with. And that's exactly what happened, right? So rather than go out, I mean, some of my contracts can go upwards of six, seven, ten thousand dollars So rather than go and try to find six, seven, ten thousand dollar clients, not that they weren't still out there during COVID, not that that's, you know, sometimes when you have money, you know, money, it doesn't matter with COVID or not, people are still spending it. However, I knew that a lot of the people that were directly in my network could not afford an extra $6,000, you know, payment right now. So we started offering smaller contracts, bringing people in on, on much smaller things. And now that COVID's kind of, you know, a little bit more contained or whatever, uh, you know, now we're in great working relationships and working towards much larger contracts with those clients. So it was a way for us to kind of pivot and, you know, how still help these businesses because the, the bottom line of what we do is we help businesses generate more business, more leads, more, you know, more of everything that a business needs for its lifeblood. And so we were able to help the businesses scale simultaneously helping ourselves to scale. And it was a win-win and it was just a matter of creative thinking, right? Rather than go after these large, you know, upfront contracts, let's just start with smaller contracts and work our way up. And it's been great for our business ever since. All right. So now we're going to talk about your business a little bit and what you do and how you feed your family. Yeah. Uh, You know, a lot of veterans and just regular entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. you know, they want to start a company and they want to be successful, but they go cheap on certain things. You know, if you want to be like uber successful, you know, and I, like I said, I'm still learning, you know, um, you know, I'm still learning how the whole business thing works. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you want to be like really successful, you know, you're not going to have your uh, your website on GoDaddy. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. Kind of, no. Like it's, it's OK if you it's a, it's a starting spot. 
Yeah. But some people are afraid because I don't understand it. They're afraid to spend five hundred dollars on a website. Yeah. But we'll spend twelve hundred dollars on the phone to look at the website. Yep. So you know, some and I've been told now, and I'm learning. You know, I've learned a lot from Stephen and Lane. You know, scared money don't make money. Yep. So how do you you know say well just people when they're like yeah. But you're, you know, your you, your company seems a little bit expensive. Yeah, you get that a lot. And what is your response? Yeah, so so I used to when I did these really big upfront contracts. But the truth of it is, is now I try to work in kind of like a phasing program, right? So the way that I kind of explain it to anyone that I'm looking to acquisition is, okay, phase one is kind of like the cleanup because, like you mentioned, a website that's just out there in the universe of websites collecting dust is only you know, costing you money, basically hosting fees, but a website that's actually acting as part of your sales force, that's educating your uh, primary audience, you know, all of these things, it can actually be used as like a business investment. So first and foremost, we want to always find people that are already, you know, already understand that they need something that is a converting website versus just something that collects dust. Because I think those people that go towards like, you know, Hey, we'll build you a website for 500 bucks. It's because they're building out a very simple template base, not a whole lot of like love or passion goes into building it. Thus, this website just collects dust. The people that we work with are people that know and understand that, hey, this isn't an investment, but it's an investment for me to utilize for things like when I post on social media, when I go live on my Facebook, when I'm talking about it on Instagram, it's all directing people into something that should act as part of your sales force. Now, the other thing, and this is really important for everyone to understand, is the reason why a website is so important is because that actually starts as the very first portion of your touch point with a potential client or somebody that's looking at purchasing. So I want people to think about this for a second. They, they say that back in like the 70s, 80s, and 90s, there was much more trust in businesses. So the average amount of touch points, meaning amount of times that a person needed to be uh, you know, shown an ad or... Uh, mention a business or something for it to resonate and then to convert was like six to nine times, right? So if you heard, if you saw a McDonald's commercial or if you saw a Macy's commercial, you know, six to nine times, it was, it was generally assumed that they could get a purchase out of you. Now it's upwards of 20 times that somebody needs to come in contact with a business because of all of the advertising that's constantly getting thrown at us. So this website actually acts as the touch point for you to start all of your other touch points and all of these other touch points come through autonomous means. So what I mean by that is again, maybe we have somebody that subscribes for your email sequence within that email sequence, you could be educating individuals on other things about your business. So again, put a front front end offer, a free website consultation, free, you know, lead gen consultation. They sign up for it. Now you have them in your email list. Now you can contact them. Now, this, again, we I don't know if your listeners really understand the Facebook pixel, but this is also where the, the start of your retargeting happens. So I want you guys to think about it for a second. If you go to walmart.com and you put a bicycle into your cart, you could be on Instagram seeing that same bicycle five hours later, right? That happens because what happens when you go to Walmart's website, their social media pixels basically pick you up they cookie you, so they attach to you, and now they can show you retargeting advertisements dynamically. 
meaning exactly with what you put in. So again, Richard, if you put a bicycle in on Walmart and I put a teddy bear in on Walmart and we both go back to Facebook or Instagram, you're going to have a bicycle advertisement and I'm going to have a teddy bear advertisement. And that's how the customer journey begins to get segmented. So now what's happening is you're seasoning all these social media pixels to say, hey, Richard's looking at bicycles. Well, maybe Walmart starts showing you other bicycles that you may like in other ads. This is all adding to those touch points and it's all starting the maturation process of somebody that doesn't know who your business is. Maybe they've never been to your website, but now they come to your website one time and you're touching them three, four, five, 10, 20 plus times until you're getting a conversion. Does that kind of make sense? No, oh, it definitely does. And you know, like one thing is, I'm I'm learning. You know, one of my one of my great friends, his name is Patrick Burt, and okay. he's uh, amazing at uh, search engine op- optimization, yep. SEO and stuff like that. And I'm learning. You know, because you have to learn. You know, because you have to work on your business and and in your business. You have to do both. Yep. You know, yep. and, and uh, so let's talk about you know for a minute branding. You know, I'm a big, you know, I've learned, you know, how important branding is, you know, like becoming like, I, you know, everybody knows me as the comeback coach, but it's yeah. built, it's taken years to build a brand. Now, like I tell everybody, you know, how many people, if we're watching Sports Center, Michael Jordan comes walking out in Adidas jump sweat, jumpsuit and wearing Adidas sneakers, <laughs> people would lose their mind yep. because he, even though he doesn't own the company, um, he's known as Air Jordan. Yeah. You know, he's known for Nike. So talk to us about, you know, people building their brand and going and not looking at sometimes the short game, but looking at the long game. Yeah. So I think this is where early on I didn't I didn't really understand the importance of branding either, right? And and now as I've been building my brand, Welcome to Wealthy, it's it's all encompassing into all the things that I enjoy most. And and I think the important kind of takeaway on branding is that early on you're probably not gonna fully understand your your business brand. You're not gonna fully understand it because you yourself don't fully have your business figured out. So what I always kind of advise people to do is kind of build yourself like this. This hero brand is what I call it, right? Because ClickFunnels, a software that I use, they have what's called a hero page. And really what you're trying to do is you're trying to position yourself into a branded position of authority to then allow yourself to, uh, again, maybe maybe move from, from your you know first year I'm talking probably, but move from thing to thing until you find that thing that you really like, right? So for example, if you're trying to build a t-shirt brand, right, early on, and you put all this effort and resources into building this brand of this business that's a t-shirt business. Well, if you end up changing your brand, you're kind of starting from square one, right? If you end up going from t-shirts or like me, personal training and, and bodybuilding coaching over to something that's you know website development, PPC, lead gen, those are two completely different things. So for me, I always just branded myself. I've just always been Tyler Joseph Cartier. I've always been this individual. I've been positive, optimistic. You know, These are the things that my brand associates with. Now, as I have my Welcome to Wealthy brand that's been established two, um, yeah, about two, three years, you know, this really is now a brand where people get value from it. People understand that it's ethical business. People understand that I deliver on the things that I say I'm going to deliver on. And I don't have anything tarnished on that brand. But again, this is now a brand that I'll build like a, like a Nike or an Adidas where it's a, a full-on Carrie's Cooth brand. 
Whereas early on, you know, I, I wasn't really certain what I was really even doing. So um, be flexible with your brand, but always remember that, you know, there, there, there is a settling period when you kind of start your business, because what you generally start in is not what you finish in. And you want a brand that you can kind of, you know, manipulate as required to be the brand that you're, that you're working on actively. Does that make sense? Oh, it definitely does. So last two questions. Um, how do we find you? Um, how do we get in touch with you? How do we, if we want you to, you know, help us with our digital marketing yeah. uh, or, and how do we find your uh, Facebook group, which I, which I joined today, by the way. Um, awesome. And your questions were, what is the, from a scale of zero to 10? And I'll, I should have put like negative eight, but <laughs> I went zero. Uh, so how do we find you? How do we get in touch with you? And you know, how can we support you? Yeah, absolutely. So Welcome to Wealthy is my brand. It can be found at welcometowealthy.com. It's welcome, T-O, wealthy.com for all things PPC, lead generation, website development, funnels, sales funnels, e-commerce, the whole nine yards. It'll walk you through a very simple process where you watch a couple of videos, understand a couple of things, um, and, and then decide if it's a good fit for you. Then we just kind of schedule a call and we go from there. So that's, that's my digital agency. I mentioned earlier on that I also have a stock investing course. If you're interested in that, it's welcome number two wealthy. So again, the importance of branding, everything is under welcome the wealthy. So welcome to wealthy will bring you to digital agency. My course for stock investing is at welcome number two wealthy.com. Um, but yeah, really. And, and then my group as well, if you want to join the group, it's welcome to wealthy stock and crypto uh, connection. And I do have a couple of other groups as well. If you just search Welcome to Wealthy, it should pull up all three of our groups. We do business networking. We do positive mindset, uh, positive perspective, all the good things. I really believe that everyone should be healthy, happy, and prosperous. So I've started my brand to really kind of help those three things. So if you want to join any of the groups, go search Welcome to Wealthy. You can get in touch with us on our Facebook page as well. Otherwise, uh, like I said, the two URLs there, Welcome to Wealthy and Welcome to Wealthy.com. Okay, so I normally have one question left, but for you, it's going to be two questions. Let's uh, do it. So now, um, we live in a crazy world. You know, we live in COVID still. Um, I live in New Jersey, so we're still on lockdown a little bit. So, you know, we got grandparents that are homeschooling kids. Mm-hmm. You know, we have parents sometimes just driving Uber or DoorDash just to put, you know, food in the kid's mouth. So if I ask the average person to do something in seven days, they're pretty much never going to get to it. Yeah. But if I ask if I ask a person to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely to do it. Mm-hmm. So if there's a person that's out there struggling with their business, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to start to get some help? Yeah, that's a really good question. My the the honest answer to this is go and be transparent with yourself on what you're doing for your business. And what I mean by that is go and do an audit on how you're spending your time, what you're doing, and is it actually helping your business to grow or is it just killing time? Because I think, again, a lot of us, especially veterans that go into become entrepreneurs, what happens is, you know, we, we go from this extremely, you know, again, this is where you'll be. This is what time you'll be there. This is the activity you're doing when you get there is really strict code of what we're doing to having this free time. And I think a lot of people confuse the fact that being busy and being productive are not the same. So I want you to go and actually audit yourself, 
be be gentle with yourself, right? I always I always caution that this isn't to beat yourself up. You don't go in and say, hey, I've been spending all my time, I'm a jerk, you know, all this stuff. What you do is you go and be honest. Hey, okay, from the time I wake up in the morning until the time I go to bed, am I doing things that are feeding my business or am I just killing time? Because there is a huge difference. So that's that's what I would say to your to your listeners. I love it. Uh, so now the question, the final question is uh, for people that I know of that are people of faith uh, like myself. Yeah. Uh, you know, because everything that we do, you know, we're only here for this world. It's only a temporary situation. Absolutely. Uh, so now, you know, they say that if you do not feel close to God, you're the one that moved, that, mm-hmm. that he's always there for you. He's always, you know, same today, yesterday and tomorrow. So if somebody is struggling with their faith, what is something that they can do in the next 24 hours to start to get on the right path? This is really simple. Sounds overly simple. Be quiet. Let's be quiet. Listen with your heart, not your ears. Right? I think that God speaks to us through the vessel of love because that's what God is, is love. So when we listen through our hearts and we be still, I think we can actually feel and hear the presence of God much more than any tangible, actionable item that we could do. That's my belief. Uh, I love it, guys. So if you are listening to this, you definitely need to check my brother out. I joined the group. I can't wait to get some knowledge. Um, I want to thank Annette Wittenberger of the Truths We Hide Behind podcast. She has some some amazing guests. And I'm going to see if you can get on her show also. Um, Absolutely. Because you can touch audiences that I can't touch. So I just want to thank Annette Wittenberger. So guys, definitely check him out. And uh, brother, I want to thank you so much for coming on today and hanging out. And I appreciate you. And people know that when they listen to my show that um, the relationship just starts today. So hopefully we can grow our relationship in the future. And I'm going to support you any way that I can. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. And and absolutely, man, I feel the same way. This is just the start of a, a great relationship to grow. So definitely feel free to reach out to me anytime that you need me. All right, brother. Well, God bless. This will come out in a couple of weeks. And of course, I'll tag you everywhere. Awesome. Sounds good, Richard. We'll talk to you soon, man. All right, God bless. Yeah, God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment. 